and welcome to another episode of the Midiera Meets podcast, the monthly music podcast where we talk to a wide range of people from the music world. This month I'm speaking to Oliver Scherer, who is a singer, songwriter, guitarist, multi-instrumentalist based on the south coast of England. Oliver's released a huge number of records under a number of different aliases and most recently has started using his own actual name and released an album very recently called I Feel Nothing Most Days. He's got a really cool studio with all sorts of unique musical instruments from modular to uh, vintage strung instruments, keyboards, pianos, all kinds of things. So it was great to catch up with him. And my first question was about his musical beginnings. I grew up with, uh, my mother was uh, played the piano, so that's probably what I would have heard first. Um, I have vague memories of pop music on the radio, but my dad particularly listened to Radio 3, so my earliest memories are of him being into Stravinsky and specifically, I suppose, I think the first thing that I can remember being aware of was Stravinsky's Firebird Suite. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- I think it was probably a little bit later on, I and I can't remember what age, um, I discovered that in amongst his classical records he had a Charlie Parker, a Duke Ellington and a uh, um, Louis Armstrong and I kind of adopted those. So my first favourite record that I was really into and kind of knew inside out was uh, a record called Festival Session from about 59, 60 by Duke Ellington. Mm-hmm. So it's a late period Duke Ellington record. Probably not wouldn't be considered his best but I just thought it was amazing. Still do, still got the same copy. Really, the same yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, same one. I'd kind of uh, I commandeered it. He obviously hadn't listened to it for years and has never been inclined to listen to it since. He's never missed it. Yeah, I've got it downstairs. It's great, that isn't it? When you sort of you curate your own collection from your parents' mm. collection. I guess mm. that's what happens to all of us. Like I guess. That. I mean, I think that's happening with my daughter to some degree. Although she hates what I do and <laughs> hates a good deal of what I'm into and what I play, but course she's got what she's into from my records yeah yeah um, yeah yeah and it's very important to hate what your parents do I as well to it a seems to be that it seems to be i know like, when i was growing up it was very important to me to dislike yes, anything they were into yeah, absolutely <laughs> yeah so that would be it's my first the first stuff i got into would have been jazz um uh but i do remember very specifically one day listening to this one piece, a piece called Cop Out Extension, where sax player called Paul Gonzalez is um, just playing chorus after chorus after chorus, hence extension. Um, mm-hmm. And suddenly it occurring to me, oh, the bass is doing what Bach does with his left hand. So I must have had that in my background as well, you know, the the, the a, a sort of musical, in, probably an innate understanding, yeah. which you yeah. get by osmosis, I suppose. Exactly, yeah. So, and it's great that you identified that and were able to place it somewhere. Yeah, I, I'm not... I've got, I mean, it makes it sound like I, I was this kind of prodigy or something. I, I, it's not something I'm able to do 
I've never done that since. It was this just this light bulb moment, mm. you know. It's like a, oh, no, I think it's like a pattern recognition thing yeah, more than right. anything, which that's our right. brains are exactly. amazingly good at. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's just, you know you don't choose for those things to no. happen. It just snaps, no. and you get no, you see a right. pattern, and you go, wow, that's yeah. the same, or that yes, works. That's right. That. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. What sort of thing did your mum play on the piano? Well, classical pieces, really. Um, so, Beethoven, Mozart, Furalisa, and in fact, the, that piece of music that's on the piano at the moment, my daughter's learning, it's the, the, the Bach um, Prelude Number no. 1. It's the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, that, that thing. Um, she played that. I learned to play that. Um, yeah, that piece of music... That's kind of a sort of legacy piece of music Absolutely. or something. Yeah. I tell you what, I even I even made a I I did an electronic version of that about uh ten years ago probably. Uh, mm-hmm. uh which I, I I put out um on a seven inch. Oh cool. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm like my instinct is like, oh you need to really look after that. You need to like Yeah. Like for some reason, I'm going to want to say laminate it, but that's like the worst thing to do. You know what I mean? Like it yeah. could be. I know. I know. It's got so much uh, well, heritage. Well, in actual fact, paper. Although that's the back. Oh, okay, I've, I've xeroxed it. Excellent. Yeah. Um, just in case. Just in case, but it's yeah. So it's uh, yeah, important bit of music that. <laughs> Definitely, yeah, yeah. And did you did your mother do similarly when you were a child? Did she get you playing the piano? And... Yeah, I I um I had piano lessons. I can't remember from what age. I think I probably got to about grade five before I quit, but I also did. Uh, um, brass lessons at school um, but then I, I 1980 I did a German student exchange thing you know, school exchange mm-hmm. and there was a guitar under the bed and so I uh, that I was staying in and then I so I worked out uh, I'd seen my cousin play Here Comes the Sun and it really impressed me. So I sat and worked out how to do that in Germany in about 1980. Uh, and then when I got back, uh, a friend of mine had a guitar that his parents had bought him and he just didn't want it. And I bought it for a fiver. Um, and so it went on from there, basically. Brilliant. I love those serendipitous <laughs> moments yeah. of like, yeah, those those things you couldn't have predicted or no. asked for acts to right. happen. Yeah. Yeah, that's brilliant. Yeah, because it does, I think, to someone who doesn't play the guitar, it looks and sounds very impressive. Yeah. uh, Because there's a lot of um, undertones and overtones and things happening musically. But your fingers can accidentally hit the string and it sounds good. So I think, yeah, when... Yeah, when I've learned to play the guitar, I've been like, oh yeah, I could make this, even just like finger picking the strings makes you sound really, yeah. really good, yeah. even if you're yeah. not. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I think yeah. that's, a, that's a fabulous thing about the guitar, actually, is that you can very quickly sound exactly like, you know, the your hero or whatever. Yeah, it might be yeah, like, like a Green Day time of your life, something yeah. like that is is not a, not a million miles away from... No. From, from anybody from no, that's right. just literally picking up the guitar exactly yeah yes it's fantastic so would you say that was your like is that your instrument did that did, was that the foundation of your yes completely music? I mean I the, the thing is that I'd had uh, musical theory alongside the piano because I learned in sort of classic classical style mm-hmm. 
So I, I, it was underpinned with music theory, which I'm so grateful for. It's just opened so many doors for me since and continues to do so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so when I came to the guitar, I understood what was going on. The chords and, and things, I understand, stood what all these... You know, guitar chords, the, the open chords, the first three that you learn, you're playing triads and things, you know, so I understood mm -hmm. that. Um, and then when I stopped get doing the formal lessons on the piano, the guitar really took over. And, uh, and in actual fact, when I came back to the piano later, I was able to use the piano in the way that I was using the guitar, using chords. Mm. I couldn't play, the, when I was just learning the piano, all I could do was read the music and play it. But when I came back to it, having had the guitar in my, you know, makeup by then, I could then just improvise on the piano. I could play the chords. I could do, you know, I could do what Paul McCartney did. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like play like that. Augmented chords. Yes, exactly. Strange inversions. Yeah. That, yeah. That that's cool. Having yeah, having those two together is, is yeah. really yeah, that and, very and that and a bit of theory and it just it's really kind of set me up, really. I'm really grateful that I had those lessons now. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Cool. So you've had um did uh, did you play in bands and things? Did oh, yeah. you grow up playing what sort so, of stuff? Um I, I can never I'm I'm getting old enough that I can't remember what year various things happened mm -hmm. but I my memory is that I was there were some kids in um, in I went to a grammar school and so there was a sixth form and there were kids who I think must have been in the sixth form then who started a band in fact there were two bands school bands and um, uh, they, I thought they were both amazing they both did I think they played at some school concert and Oh my god! Because it was like we, it was about around the time of punk, mm -hmm. and this was just like seeing the undertones or something. It was exactly the same. Yeah, like, yeah. Oh god, you can do that. This is attainable. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, and I got to know. I I got to know both both of those bands, and very quickly after that, uh, got into a band. Um, and my memory is that I was the first in my year to to do that um, so I was like sort of a year ahead of people which was great <laughs> um, I'm not sure whether I can qualify that but it felt great at the time yeah, and very no, quickly right. I was I would have been about 15 and I got into I was going out busking and then we, we were getting into these um, there was a I was in the Forest of Dean oh lovely oh, um, Beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's lovely. Um, and so I, I got a this the band that I was in. We were playing kind of our own stuff, kind of punky stuff, and playing lots of punk covers and things. And we were played around, played all over the place, um, and even got. We never actually toured, but we were doing gigs some distance away. I mean, Gloucester regularly, Bristol occasionally. Then I think we started doing things like universities and stuff. Um, so going a bit further. And it felt like, oh, we're in a working band, you know. And when mm. you... I did that for about two or three years, so 15, 16, 17, something like that. And then I got into 
a different band with some some of the people, one of the guys that had been in this band that had inspired me. They were what are they called uh, Blitz Boys, mm-hmm. and they were. Um, I think they did a. I think John Peel played them. I'm not sure whether they ever did a session or not. Anyway, the guy from that band uh, called me up and started a band with him. Or I got into his band, and uh, and we got a Janice Long session. So that suddenly felt like things were happening, and we had a couple of records. Um, and what were you doing in those bands? Just I was the lead guitarist. Um, and uh, in fact, weirdly, that was about that band was called Kiss the Blade. <laughs> Kiss the Blade. It was a proper goth band, <laughs> real goth band. Uh, we, I think the the singer who was who really steered the whole thing. He wrote the stuff, and, and it was kind of his thing, really. He was really into Sisters of Mercy and those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. But it was at that point through him that I learned about people like Lennon Cohen and the Velvet Underground, you know, and Iggy and people like that. I that's when I learned that stuff. So really mm-hmm. important. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, sort of alternative bands that yeah. were prominent. Yeah, and I think I think up to then it had been kind of the Beatles and the Stones and Elvis and stuff, you know. Yeah, um, it's funny how some people are quite happy to go down that middle line of, like, the music that's sold to them is what they yeah. are into. Yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, when you start to go off, yeah. off track or off piece a bit, it's, yeah. that's where it gets interesting. Yeah, absolutely. And I think yeah, I guess bands like. Uh, Velvet Underground and Iggy Pop are like sort of gateway yeah, drugs to those worlds, aren't completely. they? Completely. So the Velvet Underground opened up all this other stuff that I would probably have been dismissive of. So then you start, I started getting things like the psychedelic furs and so on. Do you know what I mean? That there'd be mm. all sorts of stuff that yeah, I would have been a bit snooty about probably. Um, yeah. So there, there are always these little turning points. I think. I think I sort of really had looked up to the that guy, the the, the singer of this band, who uh, I'm back in touch with now, actually. Excellent. The wonders of Facebook and <laughs> so on. Um, so, yeah, that that was that was that opened opened windows, if not doors. You've worked under a, a quite a few different aliases or pseudonyms. Yeah. Um, can you? I mean, do you differentiate them in any way? Do you categorise them in a particular well, way? I think they've sort of been by accident. Um, I think that well, certainly, I, I'm, Dollboy was the thing that I used for a long time. I think partly because. Uh, uh, it, 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 I got that one by accident because um, it was a mate's nickname uh, for me and um, uh, she had put some of my stuff, my like bedroom tapes really, stuff that I was doing for my own amusement. She'd played it to some friends of hers who were running a, starting up a CD duplicating business and they wanted to put a compilation out to advertise their wares. So cool. they stuck it on it and wanted to know what I was 
called and I didn't have a band or anything. So she just said, oh, it's my mate Dollboy. So that's what happened. Oh, I love it when that stuff happens. Someone else gives Someone you else name. gave me the name. Yeah, and then the next the thing I done know, um, Nick Luscombe, who I think was on XFM at the time, started playing the track. And from that, the Big Chill got in touch. And the next thing I know, I'm playing the Big Chill as Dollboy. <laughs> <laughs> so you're kind of stuck with it. And then I think, I can't even remember the, the order of things, but I was eventually persuaded to use my own name a few years ago. Um, and I felt, I think it felt like it, it was the more honest thing to do. I think I'd avoided using my name and used this doll boy thing mm-hmm. um, because it felt, I don't know, I felt slightly embarrassed about it. I don't know why. I don't know why. An ego thing or something. I don't yeah, know. I guess it's easier to be somebody else, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. In, uh, yeah. in a weird way. Um, I think it's true. I think it's true. Um, yeah, we all sort of want to be a different person in yeah. some ways, I guess. Yeah. Uh, maybe speaking more for myself than anyone else, but yeah, I think it's cool to be... A, like the, just the whole like romanticism about being a superhero or having yeah. that double yes, life. We all right. sort of want that, don't right. we? We all yeah. want to be like the. Uh, I, I also character. think that that my memory is that uh, that at the time I felt that if I was saying this is my name's Oliver Shara and this is my record, it felt like I was kind of being more egotistical than I was comfortable with mm-hmm. um, which is bizarre you know I don't I, um, and I'm very pleased that I was persuaded to use my own name in the end uh, I started doing things on second language as Dollboy and then uh, I, I, I submitted something for one of their compilations and uh, I think it might have been because I'd already they'd already put some bits and bobs out and said look why don't you just use your own name because we're always putting your things out that's Again, sort of by accident. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think there are others like the Assistant and Australian Testing Labs, and they're sort of, they're like fun, really. They're, they've been put out on various labels like Polytechnic Youth and Horror Pop and stuff, and I think that they are... They've been a bit of fun. They are really, it is like hiding behind something so that you can do something that's completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, are you making a piece of music and going, oh, this is a good track for. To some degree, perhaps. I think it's, it's more, more like I'm making a piece of music for a specific audience and therefore a specific label. Mm-hmm. Um, therefore, I need a different name. And I. Th- there's so much of that goes on that it didn't feel like an unnatural thing to do. Yeah, I think in music it's a very natural Pish. and a cool thing because you learn, you know, learning about... I mean, Discogs is, for me, I, I've only learned in the last few years how interesting it is to go on Discogs mm. and just follow the rabbit hole of a producer you like yeah, or yeah. a character and you realise they've got a million different pseudonyms. I know, and, no, that's right, yeah. Uh, I think it's really cool. It's great. They've got a lot I, of rounds I'll tell you a exists. funny Discogs story that... I, I've put a record out and I'd used some sampled recorders and I'd yeah. added a real recorder with it just to give it a bit of life, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so there was the sound of a recorder ensemble, so I put on the sleeve recorders 
oh, what was it? Jenny and Angela, which is my partner and her mate. <laughs> they didn't go anywhere near it, right? But I thought that was funny. And somebody, I don't know who puts this stuff on Discogs, but somebody put it on Discogs. Yeah. And I was right. checking on something, and I found this page on, on this album. I was like, God, they've got all the information on it. Jenny and Angela were hyperlinked. Oh my God, so I clicked on it, and it's like all the stray Jenny and Angela's, they get, they're credited with all this stuff all over Discord. What a bad cast of that. <laughs> oh God, this is amazing. <laughs> that's true, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, it is. I love yeah. that, yeah, the stray Jenny and Angela. That's a yeah. good for a band, isn't it? Isn't it? <laughs> yes, that's right, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's amazing. Have you asked them? It wasn't, maybe they do have a back catalog. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. Well, I think the thing to do is to get them PRS registered. <laughs> exactly, yes. All of these things happen. Oh, you performed in Venezuela yeah, last right. weekend. Right. Tell me, you were here, weren't you? <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's yeah, amazing. I love digging around on Discogs. Uh, I've found some amazing stuff through there. And um, yeah, just... I never, as a record collector who's been collecting records for about maybe 20 years, I'd never tapped into this thing of, of going on Discord and looking at all of it. Because mm. you sort of get, you get the mixer, the producer, the mastering yeah, engineer, I know. I know. everything from I know. every record. So yeah. you go on these mad little journeys of... Yeah, I've found some really interesting stuff. Um, there's a There's a Terry Riley record that... I've only ever heard as a very dodgy um, digital copy that has digital distortion and everything on it, and they, I've discovered that there is there are there are a couple of versions of it, LP versions, mm-hmm. bootlegs, I think. But right. you've I found them via Discogs. Now I've just got to find one that I can afford. But you know, yeah, and yeah. there was what what else did I find recently? Oh man, there was something else. Um, oh, it, it, it escapes me, but. Yeah, I've definitely found things that I've... Oh, I know what it was. It was a Chet Baker record, a late Chet Baker record that he made, improvised in a day, I think, with a German vibraphone player. But the vibes player is kind of bowing it and stuff. And Chet Baker, you know, West Coast, cool jazz, you know what it sounds like. But this is sort of spiky and rather odd. And... uh, Unlike any other Chet Baker I'd ever heard, really great record, and that nice. I was from going down the Discogs rabbit hole. Great, yeah. <laughs> and uh, well, also that thing that you sort of mentioned there of using an instrument in an unfamiliar way mm, yeah. uh, is something that you'd like to do as well, isn't it? Absolutely, like, yeah. Plucked yeah. in Boeing, a plucked, oh, yeah. plucked, yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like that. Well, that that um, Yes, that came from one session that I did some years ago with a friend of mine, and we she said it would be nice to have strings. Well, we didn't have strings, so I took, I think it might even have been that guitar over there, and bowed it and over, you know, dubbed it up, and we had a sort of string section. Mm-hmm. It didn't sound like a string section; it sounded rather odd. Yeah. So, I was making this record that was going to be a sort of dark English folky kind of record. Um. So, and I knew at the beginning that I wanted it to have its own kind of sonic world, its own language. So that's what I did. I just remembered this session we'd done, started using that guitar, because it's got a, a really radiused um, neck, mm-hmm. radius bridge, so you can sort of play the strings individually with a bow. You yeah, try playing yeah, most yeah. guitars with a bow, they're flat, so it's really hard. You only really get the top one or the bottom one. Um, so... 
then I, I, I there's a sitar in here, and so I was bowing that. There's a that dulcimer thing behind there. It's broken at the moment, but that is particularly good bowed because you can. It's got these really tiny frets on it, and they're so insignificant that you they're almost like markers rather than frets. Mm. So you can play it in a really kind of glissando way. That was nice. It sounded quite Indian. Excellent. But then my favourite thing is um, this. Because this is just a, an ordinary zither. Yeah, I love the, the sound of them. It's but, so you know, magical. But then what I did was I, I cut the back out of an old chest of drawers <laughs> and made this radiused bridge. This was just an experiment and it was mm. the, I, I never progressed beyond this because it, it, it worked straight off. So it allows me to, um, to play each string individually. That's cool. Nice again. And then I, I mean I've got wow. it kind of tuned sort of if you like, microtonally, um, or perhaps more accurately, atonally. <laughs> the idea was that I could play a tune, but there actually that radiusing isn't um, isn't steep enough, so it's really hard to pl to pick out the right string. What you do get is you get this fantastic kind of. Yeah, they sort of all merge together. Yeah. yeah. It's that a great, it's a great sound, isn't it? It sort of sounds mysterious. Yeah. And, um, it's a bit like a sort of waterphone or something, um, but cross between a waterphone and a strangled cat. There. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But yeah. that, I like Those, so that and the sitar and various stringed instruments all got bowed on this record, and it gave the whole thing a sort of slightly off kilter feel. Mm. I like that. Um, yeah, you also you mentioned um, about essentially that any uh, anything that makes noise is a legitimate instrument. Yeah, which is a really cool way of looking at making music. Isn't <laughs> That's it? right. Yeah, it's yeah. all an instrument. Like, it is really. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I, I mean, textures. you know, it's not an original idea. It's it's the it's. You know, music concrete is is that, isn't it? Mm. John Cage is that with his radios and his egg timers and so on. Um, and I'm not an experimentalist to that degree. I'm gonna take it and I'm gonna turn it into something that is recognisably musical rather than difficult. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I think anything, absolutely anything, is. Uh, and though you know that's 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 an example really that's atonal and I've almost never used it in any other way I've I've used it like that mm. because it it gives you a flavour that well I don't know how to get help uh, elsewhere you know exactly it's sort of like we talked about before we started rolling about um, you saying that you have quite a unique setup here mm. which you definitely do and that being a really good thing because mm. you're not going to sound like other people you're no. not gonna no. yeah you're not gonna fit into like a formulaic no. structure hopefully or not. way of working hopefully not i mean i i the record that i've just made is is i mean what's one of the a couple of the reviews have pointed out that it's not the most original record and it's because it's uh it wears its heart on its sleeve it's inspired by 
specific artists from a specific time, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's kind of copying their sound slightly, <laughs> you know. Um, but still, it's done with... Um, I mean, it's this thing. The, the space oh, the echo. space echo, yeah. You know, the tape echo, the fact that it wobbles means that it's not, you know, a, um, a digital effects processor. Yeah. And even that will give you... The, I mean, the, this record is largely guitar, drum machine and that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and even the drum machine on there, you see, the drum machine was... A, uh, I used to have in that corner a big Farfisa home console organ mm. like, and it was the top of the range they ever did I nice. think um, huge and yeah anyway but it had a drum machine in it called a bravissimo wow right? <laughs> and it had this little kind of arpeggiator in it as well um, and all, you couldn't you couldn't put the notes in or anything you just the notes would play according to which uh, bass note you played mm-hmm. then, but it would you could add so many octaves and things it was really kind of restricted but kind of cool because of that yeah and yeah, it yeah. didn't yeah. sound like it was being controlled by a digital processor it sounded like it was almost accurate you know mm-hmm. and it had this little button on the drum machine arpeggiator thing that just said on it extra men <laughs> <laughs> and it did it kind of got a little bit there was a bit more tss, tss in it and a bit more beep beep in it fantastic extra, extra men. men yeah look it up the Farfisa that translation from, from where, did, where did that idea come from I don't know from? I don't know they couldn't write that nowadays you'd have no. to write like extra people or yeah that's right <laughs> Yeah, I've really enjoyed listening to your, oh, your thank new you. album thank over you. the last thank few you. days and on the train here just thank to get you. myself thank really you. in the in the zone. Yeah, so there, there were quite a lot of instruments on that album. Um, I thought it was a CR78 on the album, was it? Oh, there's, well, the, the, wrong, realistically, there are, uh, there are other bits and bobs that, uh, I mean, I use... I'm not... You know, I mean, that's, it's a very analogue-sounding record, but actually some of the drum machines are... Um, uh, samples and what do I yeah, use? The yeah, Arturia yeah. Spark. Oh, that's do you know, that is such a great hardware software crossover yeah. drum machine. I know. Uh, I have to, yeah, great thing. It's a fabulous thing. Yeah, really, really good. Nice Does, low it's, end. A, it's like that's exactly what you need a thing, to, a machine to be like. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's also things like there's a sample. There's a track on there called Seaberg, uh, and it's actually it's about watching. Uh, uh, Abu Souf, you know the the French New Wave movie, mm-hmm. which has Gene Seberg in it, so that's why it's called Seberg. But because it's called Seberg, I've got hold of a sample of a Seberg drum machine. Nice. <laughs> Spelt differently, but you know, yeah, I like the conceit. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's so like you an probably... intertextuality for yeah. the. And hyper aware. Isn't I don't it? know any. Nobody's going to spot that. You know what I mean? For a start, you'd have to know it was a Seaberg drum machine. But somebody might look at the title and then hear the drum machine on it and think, he spelled Seaberg wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'd be very be. pleased. I'm sure there's someone somewhere on the other side of the world 
who is having that spark yeah. hit and go, has he done that? And then, yeah, that's that, those details are really important, aren't they? I, I, I love putting those the, details The warmth in. and character mm. within the track that's not just the lyrics, but the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I, I had a there's, a... there's a record that I made that's got a... Uh, it's called um, Music for Air called Motoring, and uh, the... I, it's got a picture of a, uh, a camper van, like I've got, I've got a camper van, and it's got a picture of what looks my, uh, like my camper van on the mm-hmm. front. And then after it had been out a while, I spotted on a VW forum, somebody pointed out that it says it's music for air called motoring, but it's got a picture of a water cooled van on the front. <laughs> <laughs> Which I hadn't spotted, but it's like, oh my god, they're right. <laughs> Yeah, you're gonna get those people, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. You're gonna get them. And then, yeah. so, and so you should. You need them. It's fine. I'm not. I would, it was. It's funny. It's good. Spotters badges. Yeah. Oh yeah. Too risky to just say. Oh, you got the spotters badge. <laughs> spotted it. I actually made a video. Uh, yeah, I have to admit, I made a video recently for a friend that was meant to be promotional for his um, one of his MIDI devices, and it's motorized switches that you can right. control by a MIDI. Right. And uh, so I've got loads of like percussion things on my table. And so I spent about two days working on this video, setting it up, and I recorded it, and I, I saw him on the Saturday morning, and he was like, yeah, it's good, um, you've got all the motors the wrong way around now. I was like, oh, you're joking me, I spent two days, so all the, I've got like seven or eight motors all sending MIDI, like going, all on my table, it's all taped down, but the motors were the wrong way around. So when I was pressing a note off, they were... It was playing. Right. I was playing a note on. It was playing oh, back. Oh no! Um, but only the people that really know yeah. how to use it are good. So we yeah. had this dilemma: like, is it a good promotional video? Because actually, I'm using it incorrectly. Yeah. But then I could be using it incorrectly because that's like an artistic choice of mine. Because yeah. I wanted to hit differently. So uh, yeah, we had to we had to go with it. I was like, I'm not doing it. Again, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's life, right? <laughs> yeah, and and I like everyone I sent it to was like, oh, it sounds good. Yeah, and, and it makes me interested yeah, in yeah, this yeah, thing yeah, that yeah, he's that's, made. That, okay. So that's like, Fair oh, that's the bottom job line. Job done. Yeah. yeah, the job's done. So yeah, but what I really loved as well is your. I mean, we're still staying on this same subject of using instruments mm-hmm. in a in an unconventional way, but the uh, yeah musical pointillism. Oh, that okay. is that is brilliant. I love that. Idea. <laughs> that's amazing. Well. I'd, I'd had this idea years ago and it kept popping back in my head and I never got round to doing anything about it. In the end, the technique that I actually used on the record isn't really what I first conceived. It's It became something that fitted the bill at the time. So the idea was would have been much more impressionistic, like the you know, pointillist paintings. Mm. I liked the idea of, as it were, taking a bunch of notes that were all good notes and throwing them at a point in the music. So, you know, you take all the notes of a chord and at the point where the chord goes, you would throw these notes at it and they would approximate the chord and it would give a colour. I see. Um, And I would do it by running... I was going to say the tape... I'm thinking about the, but I'm a Cubase user. I'm mm. thinking about using Cubase. I use Cubase like a tape recorder a lot of the time. So, running stuff and perhaps not monitoring the track, but just knowing roughly how it goes, mm-hmm. and to see how that kind of scattering of 
the right notes would work. Yeah. And yeah, that yeah. realistically is still an experiment I'm yet to do, but I think it would it would inevitably make a much more ambient sounding piece, but I'll I'll come to that at some point. But what I did this time was um I was monitoring what I uh, had play previously played and was j making up chords using one note at a time. So, um you know, I've, to do it live, I've had to work out the chord and then you, I have to pluck in this particular kind of way. So it's all staccato. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's what I did. So so on, there's a, really good about idea. two or three of the tunes on there where the guitar parts are, there's probably eight or nine tracks, but they're all just playing one, one note. Mm -hmm. And... That will bring... Sorry, go on. Well, it, they, they were... It was important to me that they were improvised as well. So they would, I, I knew what the chords were, um, but I'm improvising lines, as it were, one note at a time. Well, yeah, mm. one note at a time and layering it up. And so you do get this slightly shifting. It's not just like putting the chords in, just layering them up, because they're, each one of those takes is a line. Okay? Yeah. So they are still slightly indistinct, but they're all on the money timing-wise. Yeah. Okay. I think it's such a brilliant idea. Yeah. Even, I think it, it, when you started speaking about the uh, musical pointillism, the amount of uh, thoughts that came to my head of what that could be. Yeah. It's just, it's a great idea. And uh, yeah, I'm well, sure be, there's other... It would be great if other people then said, well, yeah, but... You did, I could do this with it though. You know? Yeah, I I, I, straight away I was just like synth. Let's let's yeah, yeah, play right. chords with different yeah. synths that are all doing it. But yeah, I like that approach of just doing one one track of this is you know that's the top string and then that's the second string or, mm. or whatever you know the the note within within the chord. It's such mm. a cool idea, and you're gonna mm. you're definitely gonna get more character. Yeah, you're gonna yeah. hear that craft in it. That yeah. and you're gonna hear. We're all used to hearing someone strum a guitar with yeah. one hand, and yeah. you're not going to get that. So no. it's it's going to be a very uh, sort of uh, familiar feeling alongside one that's a bit unfamiliar. And, and it a bit is. Alien. I think that the where it's worked best on the record, it is. It's it's it has something of the character of um, uh, a string synth, perhaps that's being gated by an LFO. Mm -hmm. You get that sort of right. thing. Nice. A bit like the, the beginning of that Who song, uh, Won't Get Fooled Again. Mm -hmm. You know, that introduction, I think it's just an organ, I think, but being gated by a, 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 a um, ARP. Yeah, I think, uh, no, I spoke to a guy who produced Oh, he's a really good friend of Pete Townsend, and right. I think it's a guitar sound. Through oh, is it? Yeah. Right. Okay. And well, I was like, really? Is it a guitar? It doesn't sound because, like it. It's but like, when yeah, you start gating things like that, they, it changes the nature of the sound, doesn't it? Quite yeah. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I at its best on that record, that's uh, it. It sounds a little bit like that, mm -hmm. but it's not exactly that. Yeah. Um, so I was very pleased with the way that turned out. I thought, oh, this is that's good. Brilliant. This is. This is mine. <laughs> yeah. And what track is it on? What well, track did you do that there on are, tracks? Um, I think there are three where it happens. Obviously, one is called... Um, oh, 
what's it called? Um, <laughs> dreadful, like they say. You can. Like, you got enough time to email me the track name, and we'll put it. No, yeah, no, no. But I should know. Um, uh, <laughs> yes. Sinners, sinners, sinners of the world. Okay, cool. Um, that entire track is done like that. Great. Wow. Um, and then there's a track called um, uh, Earthrise, which it, it, I think is probably my favourite instance of it because. It's a very, it's the most obviously folky sort of track. It almost sounds like a Roy Harper thing or something. And then at the end, it goes into this kind of drum machine, jazz, swinging guitar solo. But I actually mixed this guitar solo part right down because the more interesting bit was the that pointillism thing. So it comes, it swells up and is going... And it's all... Like that, it's all single staccato notes making that up. Nice. And uh, I can't so do it live. Need <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> like an animatronic hand. Yeah, that's it's right. got twenty yeah. fingers. That's right. Exactly. It's a really cool idea, and I think you know, um, inspiring uh, younger generations to make music. Mm. That sort of impedance of the easy, the mm. accessibility is is what. Uh, maybe the likes of you and I are used to with older technology. Yeah, that's right. It's cool to have those rules yeah. that just switch the switch the uh, uh, the, the scenic route. Yeah, yeah take the scenic route. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Because the there's so is the most there's so thing. much that is, um, you know, I I teach at DVA. I teach music at DVA, and you know, a lot of these students sort of struggle to make something viable because they haven't got to that stage in their development yet but then they you know they're using logic and they just pull some apple loops onto the stage and you instantly got something that sounds like they're heroes yeah you know yeah and i as a teaching tool it it can be incredibly useful because it gets them to a point where they feel like they're achieving very quickly mm-hmm. but <laughs> you know it's it's very easy Without that stuff, they're completely sunk. Yeah. Um, and you're using somebody else's stuff, and you sound like everybody else. Definitely. You know, if you take the long way around <laughs> and put this stuff together yourself, chances are you'll have your own quirks in there. Definitely. I totally agree with you on that. We all need quirks. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like, yeah, and uh, like a sense of it being part of you as well. Mm. I'm sure when you're making tunes with just loops that are from, you know, bought online mm. or whatever, I'm sure you do have a slight sense of accomplishment of in some terms of like getting the arrangement right. Mm. Um, but yeah, knowing that that's your beat and mm. like you mm. made the snare, you put mm. that reverb on the snare that made mm. that sound good. Mm. And yeah, um, that's gratifying and that's, that's, mm. the, that's a satisfying part. And I think, I mean, I've, I've, to it. I've my, one of my hobby horses is, is I, I'll, I've been saying this for years now, and I will continue to say it. I learned from my partner Jenny, who's a uh, she worked in the NHS. She's an occupational therapist mm-hmm. for a long, long time, and she used to run art classes and so on. That the real, the, the 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 greatest value in any art, it has to be to the person who's made it, mm-hmm. um, and it's not necessarily even the sense of achievement and the sense of look what I did it's the doing it it's when you're in the zone as it were yeah you know um uh there's a there's a, a psychologist I think he is uh 
who with an unpronounceable name who coined the term flow mm-hmm. and it's that the thing that an artist who is practicing at a highish level when they're in the zone and you know that stuff um and what i'm talking about here i guess is making that pointillist record when that's happening and it's like yes 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 you know mm. that there's no way that anybody can get more out of my record than i did at that moment yeah yeah absolutely and i think that the so the the talking about the the journey or the process you know the method um that's that's not nothing that's this is this is possibly the beginning of a much longer conversation because Mm -hmm. i think that had a this is part one yeah okay 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 (laughs) the idea that we make music make records in order to sell them and make lots of money and that there is some level of celebrity and hero worship and all that stuff the model for rock and roll since elvis Mm -hmm. i think is possibly in danger of being on its last legs and in a way I hope so what's we have the potential with the digital uh, stuff to be much more as it were local and I, when, by local I don't mean you know your hometown farmers or, market no 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 no, no. <laughs> I'm talking about your niche your network yeah you know. so if I make records uh I mean, at the moment, they are physical, but they don't have to be. And there are huge numbers of people, some of my students do this, who don't make physical records, they make files. And mm-hmm. they go up on SoundCloud and YouTube and whatever the kids are using, and I don't know. And they get their 10,000 followers or whatever it might be. I, I have a, a student who's 15 and has 10,000 followers that's of his good. stuff. You that's know? Nice. That's good. But he exists in a network where that's going on. And... I don't know, maybe they, there are ways they can monetize what they do, but actually that's clearly not the point to him. And it seems increasingly the case that kids particularly are getting music by their peers, and that's the end result. That, that, that doesn't have to go bigger than that. Mm-hmm. That doesn't have to be touring stadiums. You know, That's as far as it needs to go. Yeah, and I quite like the idea of that sort of globally local <laughs> music made by the people that consume it. Yeah, definitely. I don't know whether we're going there, but it feels like we might be. Yeah, I think it's important. Uh, I I was listening to um, a podcast about by a guy who was employed by Facebook, and he's talking about social media and things like you know lots of fans and and followers, and it's sort of like having the social media is obtaining status now yes i know that's I know. why we do I know. it i know so, and yeah it's a bit of a yeah it's a very interesting way of looking at it i'd never really thought about it. it's like yeah we are sort of fighting for our status online that's here. right and I, there's it's a lot not of... about enjoyment no <laughs> i know ways. but but i but what i'm getting at with with that description of you know the, i'm thinking of a particular student of mine but mm-hmm. um what i'm thinking is not so much that he has his 10,000 followers but that he is part of a network uh, who appreciate him and who are producing work that he appreciates yeah, yeah, they're swapping yeah, yeah. ideas yeah, he's oh, yeah. seeing somebody's done this thing I could do that I could do that 
better maybe you know mm. the, it, it, it's it feels to me like a, in a way a much more uh, healthy approach to making music yeah, it's, like a microcosm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happening. Yeah, so I didn't, I didn't mean to like. No, no, no. I, but that, I, that is a part I of it. Just dropped in my something that I heard yesterday. No, but it's, really it's. But the thing is, no, it is related, and I think that, you know, my generation, uh, are very dismissive, uh, quite often of um, the Facebook generation, mm. um, because well, you're just, you know, it's curating your diary, or it's, it, you're just chasing likes and status and mm-hmm. so on and yes that's true that's in there but I think that this might develop into something that isn't just that that is actually about uh, th- that that's where our art exists and um, and what the the value of it what I'm getting out of it is the making of it and the sharing it mm-hmm. uh, I'm not sure that we'll ever be able to rid ourselves of the uh, the status thing because ego we have ego we need ego and so on yeah. so people will probably always be chasing status god did I just say chasing status <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to <laughs> yeah. we're talking specifically about a drum and bass <laughs> moving into the drum and bass world <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Um, also about that microcosm, that's what, uh, which is amazing about social media, is that he may well have a fan in Russia yeah. or a fan in China who loves his stuff, yeah. who is a you know who becomes a friend, and they make yeah. the same music and they're into the same music. They have a scene in their country that's similar, yeah. but it's very small, and they yeah. can share it. That sort of integration is amazing, and that's like, going cross, on. That's yeah. going on. You know, I've been. I'm in touch with all sorts of people all over the world because of because of the digital uh, musical digital domains, if you like. You know? Yeah, yeah. Wonderful. So um, yeah, those you couldn't have done that in you know two, no. well you know hundred years ago. You couldn't have had no. a scene of your experimental no. weird music that no, no one else was right. into, and you've got. I mean, 10, you could people you could argue it. that it's a shame because it means that what I do pops up in other places where maybe this is a form of globalization but i think it's a these are these are niches they're just niches that run all the way around the world yeah <laughs> yeah so you uh you so you teach music in the college mm-hmm. And you also in a record shop. Yes, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, the record shop um, was owned by uh, two guys. Uh, they ran it for about eight years in Bexhill. And uh, and then I think the landlord put the rent up. And it was kind of not, you know, not really viable. They weren't making enough money to make it viable. And I think one of the partners just thought, you know what, I've had enough of this. Uh, so the remaining partner, Dell... Um, was made an offer by the Delaware Pavilion. Delaware Pavilion, I just, I think, thought, we can't afford to lose this record shop. This record shop brings people into our building. Mm -hmm. So they made him an offer, but he didn't want to do it on his own. And I had just about enough money to be able to sort of buy in. So it's now owned by the pair of us. He's the brains. (laughs) He knows how to run record shops. I'm just an enthusiast and 
you know, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm part of the team, as it were. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we, we co-own it and uh, we kind of split the, the um, manning of it. And uh, yeah, I work three days a week and Excellent. it's fabulous. And do you have like a specialism? Is there something that's your He's, sound? Dell has a particularly, uh, his taste is for, um, to put it simply, I suppose, Americana. Um, but it's, that's not quite fair. That that suggests a particular bent, I suppose. But it, so he he's got much broader taste than that. Um, but because of that, and because of the kind of people that uh, he's invited in to do in stores and things, we have a particular clientele who go for. I mean, what would it be? Things like Sharon Van Etten and oh wow, love her that stuff. sort of yeah. end of things. Um, but you know, so they've always done in stores, uh, and I did. You know, I, I know them basically because the moment they opened, I thought, right, let's see if I can get a gig on record store day. You know, <laughs> and I've ended up being the kind of the their sound man for the in store shows and that. Excellent. But since we've opened up at the Delaware Pavilion, we've got a room that can. With a capacity of two hundred, so the wow. in stores have been amazing. That's brilliant. Um, so we who do we we've had? What was her name? Uh, Carson McCone, I think, was the first one. She was great, kind of Texan country music. Um, mm. Brilliant. Um, and then we had Yak. Do you know Yak? Uh, definitely heard them on Mark Riley's show. Yeah, <clears throat> three piece kind of psychedelic rock band from London. And they were amazing. They were an hour and 20 minutes late because their van broke down. <laughs> they walked in with their instruments and it seemed within 10 minutes were just rocking the place. Nice. And it was proper flicking the noisy. Switch. Yeah, yeah, it's just brilliant. Oh, um, and, you know, they came in, they did that, and they sold 50 copies of their LP, you know. Um, That's perfect. Which is just great. I think they were knocked out by that. Lucy yeah. Rose, do you know Lucy Rose? Have we come across I don't her? Know Lucy Rose, no. I can't remember who she used to play with. Bombay Bicycle Club or somebody, I think. Mm-hmm. She did a great show. Um, it's awesome that we have record shop gigs in record shops. It's such a yeah. unifying experience, isn't it's it? Fabulous. To be have that physical format and the yeah. real thing happening that yeah. connects the two. And people. Yeah, people come. You know, we for 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 Lucy Rose and Yak. I don't know how many we had, but it must have been close to two hundred, in there for that. You know, there aren't many record shops you can get two hundred people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and the records as well. And the records as well. That's right. Yeah. In and fact, they, you know, yeah. In fact, I think that's where I saw you for the first time because you played a record store in Eastbourne when I lived there with Pete Astor. I did. That's yeah, right. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. I think yeah. um, maybe Riz told me that you were oh, okay. there. Right, right, like, right, yeah. right, right. Okay, yeah. yes. What that's that, right. What's that record shop called? Is that Final From... Frontier? Is that, was it not that? No, that's the other one, isn't it? It's Bedrock or something? Come Stone? Come yeah. Come yeah. No, it's lovely. It's really, really good. I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yes. Um, yeah, it's nice, that. enjoyed that. Cool. Should we talk about your album? Let's talk okay. about your album. I just skipped to the record yeah. shop without going to that. So you're as Oliver Shearer, Shearer, Shearer. Sorry, uh, um, Oliver no, Shearer. Don't, don't apologise. It's fine. You've yeah, you've released three albums. Yeah. Um, and the latest one, I feel nothing most days. Uh, yeah, it's quite an interesting story behind the the songs on that album. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, 
the yeah so the 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 the, the idea really not the idea is the case that um i um i had a tape god it used to sit up here you know i had this uh, cassette tape that turned up in a in a box in the attic um and uh i didn't even know what it was for a long time and uh, I don't think I had a cassette player for a, for a while. And then I acquired a cassette player. And I put it in and I instantly realised what it was. It was a recording... I used to have a, 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 a Yamaha MT1X. Well, I've still got it upstairs. Mm-hmm. Uh, Four-track cassette uh, player. I mean, stopped working years ago. So it, this thing was useless to me. But I had made um, a... I used to use it to make demos back in the 80s. So I moved to London in about 84, I think. Something like that. Mm. Into a squat in the Elephant Castle. And I had this... I acquired this machine and uh, was recording demos of things. And But there were things that didn't fit the band that I was playing in. I was playing in this goth punky goth band Kiss the Blade Kiss the Blade yeah. <laughs> um, and um, and I was but I, and these things I was writing were sort of they were really it was basically me sort of copying the first Ben Watt album which was the thing he did prior to Everything But The Girl mm. so they were sort of I thought they were kind of jazz actually what it was he was doing was he was copying um, uh, oh, what's his name um, Don Martin, got all that Echoplex guitar and stuff. So I was making these re- recordings, and uh, yeah, so anyway, this thing turned up, and because it had been recorded on this four track, it might not even have been the one, the, my Yamaha, I think it was a borrowed one, it ran at double speed. So when I put it in my tape recorder, it ran at half speed, mm-hmm. and two of the four tracks uh, obviously didn't play because it's a domestic tape machine so you turn them over so they play but they play backwards right yeah. <laughs> so it meant that i was able to record all the tracks into the computer and then i was able to reverse the two reversed ones mm-hmm. um this is to like tap into the tracks you hadn't heard for yeah 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 so many yeah. like 20 30 years yes exactly That's amazing. and um and in fact the one that i was i dismissed the, the bits and pieces of songs the one I was most interested in was the more experimental sounding thing, and I thought well, I could do something with this. I'll do something for um, Polytechnic Youth. It will fit the vibe perfectly. It's from nineteen eighty whatever it was, <laughs> yeah. um, and it what it was was a drum machine which was so slowed down that I couldn't work out what it was. I couldn't couldn't remember what machine I'd borrowed at the time. Um, wasn't my, the C the what was it? The C no, it wasn't. I, I I had a Yamaha RX. 21 or whatever it oh, was. Oh, yeah, I know that, yeah. And it might have been that slowed down. It might have been one that was borrowed, though. I can't remember. Um, it was that playing this beat very slowly. So almost like trip-hop or something, but perhaps even slower than that. Mm-hmm. And then... Um, and it had a had bass, which I've still got. That a Squire bass over there, which I'd taken all the frets off uh, and played with a um, a chorus pedal and a cello bow. Right, <laughs> wow. And then the guitar, that which is. I remember was the uh, Hona copy of the Steinberg 
guitar, the headless little cricket bat thing, <laughs> that played with a violin bow, lots of echo and uh, chorus, and then a Casio SK-1, which I'd used, all I'd done with it is I'd sampled the sound of water running into the, uh, the, from the tap into the metal sink, mm -hmm. and then played that slowed down so it sounded like a mountain stream, no, right? So cool. I had this whole thing. Um, and I've got to make this work, got to make this work. And I tried three or four different ways over a period of a couple of years. Never made anything more interesting than just the raw sound of the tape itself. Mm -hmm. I kind of gave up on it. And then Glenn at Second Language, we were having these comp conversations about Durity Column and he was particularly into the idea of doing a compilation inspired by uh, cassette compilations that... Uh, Dis de Crepuscle used to put out in the early 80s. Very kind of factory, factory Benelux, that kind of arty end of post-punk, I suppose. Mm -hmm. um, he had a title and everything. He said it's going to be called uh, Avenue with Trees. And I remember, I remember he sent me, a, he said, are you interested in doing this? And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says, okay, here's the brief. Uh, Belgium... Wednesday afternoon, raining. <laughs> Belgium, <laughs> 1983, Wednesday afternoon, raining. <laughs> Got it! And exactly what you're talking about. And I wrote something, he said, yeah, that's exactly the vibe. Uh, and, then, and then I thought, yeah, but that sounds like this tape. So I got one of the pieces off the tape and augmented it a bit. Um, and then some of, the, uh, some of the things I remembered rather than actually having... Um, and I, I did, so I, I think I gave him about four pieces, two or three of which came directly from this tape or from my memories of songs of that time. Yeah. And then I wrote a new one in that style. And then I just, then I think I pulled something in from another song that I'd written more recently that sort of hadn't worked, but now had a home. Mm. Uh, wrote some more remembered more bits and pieces from that period and gradually I had enough and I just thought you know what this is a record and he said yeah if you finish this off I'll put it out so that's how it happened nice. so, so it had this whole aesthetic artifacts from, yeah, yeah, yeah. from different places it's not all from there that's where it started bits and pieces are from there I think I'm now at a stage where I don't really remember what recordings came from there and what are new. Um, you can just put Jenny and... Or, yeah, that's or, right, exactly, Jenny, Jenny and Angela. Yeah, that's Jenny right, Angela, exactly. Yeah. Just add to their discography. Yeah, why not, why not, why not? <laughs> but it's, yeah, so that's that's how it happened. And then I, I think I, I usually get Riz to... I'd send stuff to Riz and she just whacks a choir full of backing vocals on it, like that, and sends <laughs> it back. And then I discover this sax player locally here playing a soprano sax and I just thought get, that would just put the icing on the cake she came in here and knocked them all out in about an hour and a half on a Saturday morning right, yeah. so it's yeah that's how it happened it's really good I mean there's there's loads of um, loads of ways people describe your music um, like which it's really evocative Every everything I've read about it before I heard it was I, I, sort of the things that came to my mind during it it's like um, 
Yeah, it, it just seems to evoke a lot of feelings in people, uh, this good. album. Like, um, yeah, like the things that I wrote down people would have written was, yeah, restrained melancholy, warm historical placement and things. And then my own were like dreamlike quality. Like it's it's coherent and grounded um, without being woo. Like it's not woozy. It's not like so dreamy that it's um, no. distant. It's no, very no. close and, mm. and, and warm and comfortable and grounded as well as being... Yeah, like, almost like a lucid dream. In right, a way. right. Interesting. I, I, I yeah. I, you know, in in a way, that's very. It's very difficult to comment on. But that's your. Yeah, that's, that's that's entire. It's your record. Do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah. And it, that's how these things work. Um, God, I I played a show in Brighton the other day, at the the Great Escape, and uh, just a little industry thing. And uh, somebody came and said, "Oh yeah, I really like your record. I'm, I, I, are you a big Genesis fan?" <laughs> uh, and I had to admit that no, I don't have a Genesis record. I've never owned a Genesis record, and I really know very little about them. But mm. thank you. She <laughs> <laughs> so said, "No, I just listen to techno all day. 160 beats per minute techno. Can't you hear it? Can you hear that influence?" Very strange. <laughs> yeah, I guess it everything it all means uh, different things to different people. But yeah. Yeah, I love the texture of what you created and the sort of the tapestry of sounds, mm. um, like layers of layers of instruments. And, and well, in a, realistically, there's not a huge amount on there. It's um, it's uh, that guitar. Um, there's a guitar that I've got a Fender Strat in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all go either going through. That little, yeah, mostly through that Fox amp, I think. And everything's pretty much got that on it. I think I didn't, uh, I, I didn't make myself a manifesto, but I kind of had in my head the idea that uh, I'm going to finish off this record that I started making in 1983 or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is the, these are the instrument, these are the, this is the equipment I would have had. You know, I don't think I, I didn't have a Fender then, but I, I would have loved one. You know? yeah, yeah. Um, I had one within a couple of years, uh, and I'm not sure I had a tape echo, but I certainly had an echo box. But they are, it. So I, I wasn't deliberately restricting my palette. It's just that I felt that yeah, this is the flavour of this record. This equipment. So there's actually mm. not much more on it than that. And the saxophone, a little Fender Rhodes. Um, but it's, I guess it's the way you put this stuff together. It's the layering up, isn't it? And, yeah. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And the combination of those yeah. those things. Because, yeah. yeah, people will hear things that aren't even there. Yeah, like, yeah I'm sure, I'm sure. Like, a lot of time. And, like, I mean, I'll do it in the studio. I'll be, I'll be listening to something and go, what is that sound that yeah, I've yeah. made in there? I didn't. I haven't done that. Yeah. And then you, t- you strip away yeah. all the elements and you can't hear it again. Yeah, but when right. you, the layers yeah. just add something. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. And the harmonics. Good. What do you do aside from music that like brings you joy and like uh, or, like a place that you go that you like to go to that's not related to these synths mm-hmm. and the guitars mm-hmm. and things? What do you like to do otherwise? Um, well, I think the the older I get, and I am getting quite old now, um, the the more important this stuff is to me. But of course, I've got family, um, so family life's really important. Um, at the moment, I've been doing too much work. I've been working with the record shop and teaching, 
and I'm pretty much more or less six days a week and that's got to change so I'm, mm. I'm going to half quit the teaching at the end of the academic year um, but the things that I like doing I like I mean I like doing things like, I love going to charity shops with my family we're mm. all charity shop heads you know me too yeah um, and uh, you know I mean like the, the, see those two guitars there Mm-hmm. Both from charity shops within two weeks of each other. Oh, wow. That's a 1967 Sereo Yairi, which is probably worth about 500 quid. Oh, wow. And nice. this was made by a guy who's still alive, I think, lived in 1974. He, in Worthing, he made about 20 of them. Wow. And they sold in 1974 for 450 quid. Nice. And I got them from charity shop for 12 and 15. That's good, isn't it? That's, that's the charity shop gold. That gives me joy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, and I, I love going places. I like, I like going on holiday with my family. Um, I've got a camper van. I, I, love, I love France, being in the camper van. We've not done France yet. We did Holland, um, driving around... And getting in the Mediterranean and eating French food and drinking French wine and so on. Those, I mean, they're simple things. They're not very exciting. They're the oh yeah, very basic. (laughs) Yeah, those family things are incredible. I have just having the freedom of let's go anywhere. Yeah, you want to go and yeah, pulling up somewhere. Yeah, Yeah. that's amazing. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, And then you know stuff like. I'm interested in in kind of whatever it might be, just going to places where something used to be and the resonance of what used to be, that all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Go, you know, driving around and spotting something in a field, and you know, my we, me and my partner both get something. Out. That sounds a bit vague. I know. No, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, you I, I'm a cyclist, and I'm always doing that. Like, oh, yeah. what's that up there? Wow. I'm yeah. Just going and it's out. part of this whole kind of. I don't know who coined the term psychogeography. I've got an idea that it was Will Self. But that that movement, if you like, partly the hauntology thing and psychogeographic mm. thing, I think it's made lots of people like me interested in those sorts of things. Industrial ghosts and all that stuff. Yeah, know. relics. Yeah. Sort of intangible relics yeah. Of, yeah. of things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I that was going to be one of my questions. I did so you've sort of answered that one there about psychogeographic stuff because mm. it's not something I've read before or heard of, but I know exactly what it is. Mm. And, um, yeah. But hauntology is something I'm familiar with, yeah. and um, yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, things like the thought process thing that happened at New York. Yes, before, that's, those are all sort of. Wish I'd got on that. <laughs> yeah, you should play. Yeah, I think Riz, Riz was talking. I think we, she told me about it. Or we would think. Well, that, the, there's a thing that I do with Riz and a couple of others, which is the non-blank, which is where we do these live improvised soundtracks to movies. Ah, yeah, and, yeah. And we use, you know, I'll use that alongside that. Okay. And Just for the. For the purposes of the people listening, that's a... That's a, that's a uh, Edwardian dulcitone, which is essentially a keyboard that plays tuning forks. And this is my uh, modular... Eurorack modular synth. Modular synthesizer, yeah. Wow. You couldn't be more contrasting, but... No, but... There's a fusion that happens uh, uh, Completely. And we, we, we've... My neighbour lives almost in my garden, Darren. He plays keys for um, Steve Mason. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and he is an amazing keyboard player, and he is 
more often than not he plays piano, sometimes he brings a vibraphone, sometimes a synth as well. And then we've got Riz with her box of tricks and her voice and flute and so on. And, mm. uh, and her, uh, my mate Jack um, plays with everybody. He usually plays a lap steel and a violin. So it's a real kind of mishmash of stuff, but yeah, lovely. Seat of your pants stuff, playing, just improvising to a movie. It's like, I love it. Excellent. <laughs> Do you have any of those coming up? Are there any, um, any No, the last one we did was probably the most successful. We did um, Hitchcock's The Birds. I mean, generally people do sort of silent classics because they're silent, they haven't <laughs> got a soundtrack. But Birds doesn't have a tonal score. It's just got this synthy, bird noises and synthy bird birds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we just made a score up so we could have the whole, the whole dialogue and everything. It's brilliant. Amazing. And because it's the birds and everybody's heard of it, we had a decent audience. Brilliant. Well, I look forward to the next one of them. We'll certainly okay. come along. Okay, okay. I'll let you know. Cool. Well, thank you very much for talking to me. It's been really good to speak to you. Really enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. Well, what an excellent end to the interview that was. Very professional. Yeah, I really, uh, really enjoyed speaking to Ollie. He's a lovely guy. Um, as you could probably hear, we got on really well, and um, we had a lot of a lot of stuff to talk about. So much so that we felt that, that maybe there's going to be a second interview sometime because we were a little bit short on time there. Uh, I love his approach to making music, I love the diversity of the instruments that he has and also like the customization that he does to them um, to bring his own unique sound uh, to, to music, which is what it's all about really, isn't it? Nobody wants to sound like everyone else. Okay, next month, uh, I do know who I'm talking to next month. I'm talking to a live performer and singer who is out of this world I think it's fair to say uh, she's definitely one of the best live performers I've ever seen in my life totally captivates the audience in a very very unique way so I'm really excited to bring that one next month thank you very much for listening anyway I am Midiera and this is Midiera Meets I'll see you again soon